welcome to another exciting edition of Near Mint Comic Radio. Well, more or less, we got a whole gang of people from Nonproductive here to review Infinity War, the hit movie that's taken the world by storm. A whole bunch of us are here in the studio. We're not going to go through names. You know us all by now. Come on. We just came off of Infinity Month where we actually read and reviewed all the books that led up to Infinity War. And um, I think it's a great time now that the movie's been out and people have been a, had a chance to sort of digest or mourn that we're gonna actually sit there and talk about all of the things we loved and the things that we maybe had problems with. Uh, full alert beforehand, there's gonna be spoilers for the movie and maybe a little mild spoilers for the comic series if you haven't read them in the last 20 years that they've been around. So everyone, <laughs> how what do we think of this movie? And is it a movie? What I, do you think I mean by that? I liked it for the half of a movie it was. Yeah, I I, I agree. I have it. I have some things I want to talk but about. It had an end. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I feel like it was definitely suspenseful the whole way through for me. I was definitely heart pounding until the last moment. It was good, but it definitely wasn't a movie. It was some sort of baby chinchilla, I think. Mm, yes, yes, that's exactly what we're getting at here. Well, I do have gripes. I, I really did enjoy the film. I don't necessarily know if I take the same qualms for the was it a complete movie argument, but uh, there's stuff I can nitpick. All right. In that case, uh, Al, you could say something, but I'm going to dig into James as my, my <clears throat> rival here. I thought it was a pretty complete movie because, in all honesty, I, I'm scared of what the sequel could bring that would actually... So you think it's a full movie because you're like, it might only go downhill from here. Exactly, because like, at least I've got this whole story arc where like a se- you know, with its series of down endings, and yeah. I'm like, I can enjoy that on its own. Right, so before, it's going to be... Before you tear into James, Frank. Well, it's going to be Ken and I versus James and Alan, I think, in a minute, and you two can take say, defense. Both I, I just wanted to say that I stand by James and will defend him. Oh, all right, Aww. good. The table is roughly by half. This is Here's my problem with this film, and it's not really a problem. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie. Uh, I feel like there were some interesting things that happened in the reactions, which I want to get to in a minute. But uh, there, this movie is definitely the preamble for a, a two-part story. Like, it's clear as day. And I'm not just saying that because, well, I want to know what happens to everyone. I'm saying this that I don't know if we had a complete story, not even a complete tragedy. I think that we were led to this 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 big adventure in space and time and with these magical rocks that have great powers in them and whether or not Thanos could has can be stopped and then we find out no he can't and the end there's there isn't really this isn't an empire strikes back moment in my opinion I think it depends on how you look at the movie and whose side you're looking on because I think we kind of brought up earlier the idea that this could eventually or essentially be Thanos's story. It's Thanos's oh, movie, yes. right? And if you do look at it that way, he had an agenda, he met his needs, <laughs> and by the end, you could say that at the end it was the end of Thanos's story. Yeah, I honestly I don't care about what happens to these these obstacles in his way. <laughs> you know, he overcomes oh the obstacles. I don't need their backstory. I don't need to know with how they deal with what Thanos did. But in, this, wins. in the same respect as the average moviegoer that that loves these these I'm really uncomfortable films, with what Pete just said. I am too. That's why, that's why, I'm, that's why I'm pushing forward. Because yeah, if you if you do take the 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 average moviegoer that loves these Marvel movies, they went into this to see all of their heroes go up in an epic war that's, against the villain that we've been yeah. waiting eight years for. All right, yeah, that's that's where I'm getting at with my point to back up Ken. I feel like, and we'll get this to the reaction part, I feel like a lot of people went into this kind of dumbfounded, and I'm not sure it's like a good shook. I think a lot of people came out of this looking upset, 
But, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I don't necessarily disagree with you. I, I do think a lot of people came out of this movie going, what just happened? The thing that strikes me is kind of where it falls on the, like, open-endedness, right? It's, um, to compare it to other films, right, it doesn't feel, I think I agree with you, it doesn't feel like The Empire Strikes Back, where it feels like really solid three-act structure, but it also doesn't feel like, uh, you know, did anybody see the the second Pirates movie, where it was just like, this, there could have not been a longer trailer for another Pirates movie. I disagree with this. We're not going to get into the Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> franchise right now, but, yeah, I all right. So I feel like Infinity War kind of falls solidly in the middle. I think it, as Ken said, it has to do with how you look at the movie. Is it Thanos's three-act structure we're following, or is it everyone else's three-act structure? And nobody else has, in my mind, a three-act structure in the film except Thanos. But if you go in with the expectation that you're going to see Cap and Star-Lord and these people That win, you've actually paid attention to for the last 10 years. Then that's the problem. And I'm not going to lie, I ended up with that same feeling. When they disappeared, I was like, oh, well, there's got to be, you know, like 20 to 30 minutes of the movie left. They're obviously going to undo this. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, the one I keep comparing it to and the feeling that I got in the theater was closest to the feeling that I remember in the theater at the end of... The Fellowship of the Ring. Okay. Where everybody who hadn't read the books is sitting there and watching Frodo and Sam wander off into the sunset. And they said, what? What? That's it? That is a genius point. But no, you got got a full story. And then, you know, the end, obviously there's going to be more to the story. But that's how the beginnings of trilogies start or the beginnings of multiple part don't stories. give them ideas i can totally attest uh, to what pete's saying as having watched lord of the rings in theaters and like that uh, was everyone's reaction at the end of fellowship was that's it and like <laughs> it's like, called fellowship of the ring and the fellowship's over yeah that was it it was oh, like they broke up at the end of it and everyone yeah. was really disappointed that's which is really i mean good. well that is the end of the fellowship yeah <laughs> yeah that's actually you got what you were promised that, and this is the end of the war yeah 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 the, and the war does not end well sorry that's, that's a very good point well, it I depends think, on who you are but. and i think we're looking at different people here they're the people who are fans who think that this is thanos's story and are really maybe they're i don't want to i don't want to label anyone maybe they're broader comic book fans and they're they're really excited to see this story come to life um i'm worried about and i want to transition into reactions i'm worried about the person who i don't think it's fair to uh exclude them they're the casual fans who've just started getting into the movies have invested a lot into the few movies that they have seen or possibly all the movies they've seen how about the people who just got into it from black panther that movie made literally all the money and it was playing in the theater next door mm-hmm. so you're telling me you just became a fan of these marvel movies these superhero movies you find black panther he's a character that speaks to you maybe represents you and something you do not see often and then you're gonna go to the next movie in the agenda and he's killed as an not pr- pretty much as an afterthought everybody who disappears dies even even Spider-Man, and I'm weeping thinking about it. Those are just sort of like, you have a, it's hopeless. You're just going to die. It's almost, it's... It was pretty casual, and yeah. I believe he was the first one to uh, go up and smoke. No, no, the first one was Bucky. Oh, you're right. He was the first one after Bucky. Yeah. Or he, he was the second one. That was, I, I took that as an emotional gut punch. Oh, That was definitely. setting up the, oh, wow, 
anybody could die here. So, uh, so in honor of the people who will maybe not necessarily hear this podcast because they were so, you know, just entry level fans, um, uh, and, and I don't mean that as a disparaging thing. I think it is, it is a bold move on Marvel's part to be like, you know, we're not just making fun movies. I know the last Thor movie was super successful because we ratcheted up the fun. I know Guardians is strangely successful because it's so much fun. But this movie, no, we're going to end a little bleak and we're also going to try to scrub out some of the immediate successes we had. That is an incredible, incredible move on Marvel's part. I mean, you look at who they scrubbed out. I mean, it's I mean, if we're looking at everyone they scrubbed out, like Loki gets it in the first uh, 10 minutes of the film. That one hurt, of their most popular characters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they 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 were showing they were, the Rousseau brothers are trying to make a point. Right. So they take out Loki really in the beginning. They say, hey, you know, we can take out Tom Hiddleston. Just be careful. This movie's not going, mm-hmm. you know, not going to be as fun as you thought. I, I don't. I don't necessarily think that's a problem, and it's tough to say that it alienates casual fans, but any movie that's coming in and it's called Infinity War and is going to have this many heroes, and I just I just couldn't go in if there were no stakes. I mean, we talked about it in when we were talking about Thor Ragnarok, other than Al, uh, all the rest of us felt it difficult to get invested in the loss of something as devastating as all of Asgard because it was just too comedy. Right. There were just too many fun beats. OK. You know, and if if we had that much fun with Infinity War, would we ever take any of it seriously? I'm going to take uh, from where James started off. You have to give it to the Russo brothers and look at what they did beforehand. They already had set a tone of how they shot their Marvel movies going back to Captain America, uh, Captain America, Winter, uh, Winter Soldier, and then Captain America Civil War. There are so many stakes. They may not be as high as they are in Infinity War, but there's a lot of stakes and a lot of consequences in all these movies, and they're very realistic, very darker films to a degree. And this is exactly what we got in Infinity War, and on a grander scale. Yeah, I'm not dismissing the uh, the alienation that some casual fans, again, not disparaging, uh, but uh, I... I at very least I say that they the, they made the stakes feel very real for a movie where I felt like anything could be undone easily, and I was surprised by that. Uh, I will say that the the stakes towards the end it became so dramatic towards the end. So, I mean, obviously, when half the universe is killed off, that at that point, for me being someone who had read the comics and kind of had a little and knew the movie release schedule, I was like, you know what? This isn't as scary as it seems. It had almost an opposite effect that it did from somebody who was, I went to the movie with, I went with my wife and my wife uh, just like recently started watching these movies, really loved Black Panther. And at the end of the movie was like, what the hell is this? What the hell is this? So uh, we had, there was one of those times where she's, she's okay with spoilers. So I, I told her about my comic books, dream come true, right? And uh, she was like, oh, that makes me feel a lot better. I can't wait for the next movie. So uh, I want to address Loki and humor and all that stuff, but we'll do that in the last end of the show when we talk about our problems and our cool moments, because I have a problem with your cool moment. Yeah, I think that that's actually a really fair thing for a lot of people to complain about as far as the like ending and just being dissatisfied, especially if you come in on Black Panther. And it's a really harsh debate of where do you draw the line of telling the story you want to tell, 
should we alienate these people to tell the story? Should we kill off half the universe to say we did it, have the characters deal with it, even though all of us know it's going to get undone because Spider-Man's got another movie in the pipeline? As soon as everyone started dying, I'm like, the stakes have never been lower. First of all, those movies could take place in the past. We don't know. And some of them we know they do. Or it may not be <clears throat> Peter Parker as Spider-Man. <gasps> oh, there you go. Ooh. No, Finally, but, uh, my Spider-Ham spec script. <laughs> yes! <laughs> was picked up. But uh, I think uh, the Russo brothers do deserve a tip of the hat for creating these stakes in such a way that this is, yes, it's a comic book movie. At this point, I think most of the general movie going public is aware that comic books, death is not permanent. And that in these kind of things, the, these kind of deaths are undone very easily. So it's easy for the public to go in there and not have any stakes at all. You know, you could just say to yourself, "This whatever happens, it's all going to get undone. I don't care. But here we are talking about it. They, they created the stakes in such an interesting way. And this goes to the meta around the movie also when it comes to publicity tours and uh, manipulating the media to the point where it's an issue. People are interested in whether or not these deaths are real. They were emotionally invested enough that certain people, spouses, people who aren't necessarily as familiar with the comic books, are seriously emotionally upset about the deaths of these characters. And I, I, I give them a tip of the hat for that. Going back to his point of permanence, I'm just curious because everything and nothing is possible because there's a literal deus ex machina in the movie through the gauntlet. So, I mean, I can get how people get really upset about it, but I'm kind of curious how permanent everybody actually thinks anything is in this movie. Just uh, one thing I have learned since then is that apparently, and I, I've only seen the movie once, sorry, uh, <laughs> the gauntlet is destroyed by the end of the movie or it looks destroyed and that might complicate things but yeah i mean if you're more savvy with comics or if you were emotionally stable by the end of that movie good luck uh yeah you might be like hey anything can be undone or not but i, I see there is there's the potential i think the Rousseau brothers big challenge here was to create a big spectacle that felt finite or final on a scale and leave you wanting more i think the movie does that mostly Right there. I'm sure even the people who were upset or the people who weren't upset come in being like, well, what happens next? You know, there the many of us were still thinking, well, there's got to be 40 minutes of this movie left. They're going to undo this. Right. But I think where it misses is that it because it's disconnected itself directly from being a two parter because it didn't tip its hat at all at any point, even even kind of in the credits. The closest thing you have is Thanos will return. Yeah. Very odd. You know, yeah. which was it, it. it's just very grim right yeah, i'm telling you I was coming there. back to that that darkness it just it really they never picked it back up and right. while I, I appreciate the stakes it does the the full stop is strong so i i think and i have a treatise on this i think this movie could be like an answer to the to the issue or the reality of mcu bloat the marvel cinematic universe is huge 10 years worth of movies it's work to get through all of that. You know what else is work? Trying to figure out a way of introducing, what, a dozen at least characters into a movie? That's what was going on in Infinity War. There was, uh, let's let's 
quickly go through them. There's Thor, there's Hulk, there's Black Widow, there's not Hawkeye, there's Captain America, <laughs> there's Bucky, there's Wakanda, there's all the other people in, I mean, all the people in Wakanda, there's Black Panther, there's, um... I think there's a Guardians Strange of the Galaxy. The Guardians of the Galaxy, which is like six people. There's so... Doctor what, Strange and Wong. Yeah, Spider-Man. What movie... <laughs> <laughs> just would just be fun trying to come up with like parent names for these characters. What movie has a dozen main characters? It's hard. Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> oh wait, no, the Ocean's other one. Twelve. That's the one. <laughs> but to the Russo brothers' credit, they take that in stride. They sure, sure, sure. To the credit, they do a great job. My thing is, maybe Avenger movies shouldn't have a dozen different characters in them. Maybe we could have an, uh, one movie that has these four heroes and another movie that has these other four heroes from the Avengers. I think this might be, maybe, setting the, sta the stage for that. Now, I'm not suggesting that all the characters that are dead are going to stay dead and then we're going to go back to the basics, the original guard. West Coast Avengers. That's how you solve every problem. Every problem. West Coast Avengers. <laughs> yes. No, I'm saying that, like, there's too many people. There's just too many people on the boat. And I think this is partially a problem with that because there was no hero that was the main character in this story. Or are we doing away with Avengers movies in general? We know there's one more on the slate. But then could we be transitioning to films more like Ant-Man and the Wasp? Yeah, or West, Thor Coast Avengers. West Coast Avengers. <laughs> Some other movie with only four protagonists. I mean, I feel, like, I feel like there's a lot of lead up, though, from Civil War in that everything is kind of almost a mini Avengers since then, where we get these huge ensemble movies since then. Every movie has had a bunch of main characters rather than a singular hero. Yeah, and I think mm -hmm. that's fair. I mean, like, Thor Ragnarok is a lot of fun and Hulk shows up. You know, good. There was maybe arguably two, three heroes in there, whatever. I'm not going to argue it. But like there's like it, it wasn't over it wasn't <clears throat> top heavy as top heavy as this movie was. I think this was probably the most top heavy movie. Well, definitely was the most top heavy movie. But I think even other Avenger movies were having some problems. And you know what? That's fun. Occasionally a superhero that stops a bank robbery. It doesn't always have to be the world coming to an end. Like Spider-Man Homecoming. Yes, exactly. So They I, did that. I'm not saying that and Marvel... And this time they did, you know, the giant ensemble piece. Yeah, I, my, don't read me wrong here. I'm not saying that Marvel is incapable of doing it. I'm just saying that if your insistence, and I'm not saying who this is, comic fan, if your insistence is that an Avengers movie is only an Avengers movie, if it has literally every superhero we've in introduced so far in the shared universe, that's like saying a Disney movie is an only a Disney movie. We can't have a Disney princess movie without mentioning every Disney princess. It's ridiculous. And I think that if you're going to tell a story like this with everyone, which is kind of the intent, this was their Infinity Gauntlet, their Infinity War, mm -hmm. then you got to just clean the slate a little bit to make it more... More manageable. I'll get to Loki later on, but there's a reason why he dies in the first few minutes. Because it's like, hey, Loki, you're great, but you're a little too great. We gotta get you out of the way. We need other people to have some screen time. I think the answer to this, obviously, is that lacking a major superhero main character, and there's a little bit of Tony, and there's a little bit of Gamora, I think, lacking them... We really have Thanos as the main character of this movie, like we sort of led off this with. And I feel like that solves one of the biggest problems that so many of us had with Age of Ultron. You go back and listen to that, listen to our review of that film and all the problems we have with it, it lacks a lot of focus. And the reason Infinity War comes off as well as it does is because the film chooses to follow its villain and his story, and heroes are almost ancillary. 
No, they're not ancillary characters, but they're still main characters, but they are not the They're carried the by the weight of their earlier movies. Yes, That's why they exist. And I feel like this is actually a thing that a lot of people who criticize Marvel movies fixes as well, because a lot of people hated the fact that a villain would always die or had no development or anything like that. And this, <laughs> this is, is the really opposite. the dead opposite of that. Yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. Now, Absolutely. how do we fix Marvel's hero problem? <laughs> I'd like to think, too, a lot about the way Thanos was done, and even in his portrayal by Josh Brolin, is really just surprisingly elegant and that's what makes it I think very enjoyable right like instead of being like this grandstanding sort of big evil villain he really taps into kind of what really makes Thanos tick in the comics and modifying him well for the screen and Josh Brolin's betrayal is kind of like this guy walking around with the world on his shoulders and and as if he's kind of pained and belabored by the things he has to do he's not sympathetic because that would make us all terrible people but you can you can empathize with what he's going through in a way there's a certain level of realism let's go through it really quick because i think we're going to be split i loved thanos's motivation and personality portrayal in Mm -hmm. the film i think roland did a wonderful job i think the directors and the writers did a wonderful job and i am even though he's no longer obviously in love with lady death I enjoy it because it would be way too weird to bring in Lady Death, and it doesn't divorce it in my head. He may still love Lady Death, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. It's just that he has a different way of showing or expressing why he's doing it. And I'll take the opposite. I think it suffers by the lack of Mistress Death because that was his sole reason for wanting to do it. That was the main thing for him to do what he does. In the film, when he says that you know, he realizes that there's an imbalance in the universe. It almost gave me the feeling like he just woke up one day and said, hey, I think there's too many people and I should just wipe them out. And and that's my calling. That's actually a really good point. It does make it seem a little bit more um, capricious. Right. I think the the reason that there was a reason for him to do it actually drove the stakes. I actually completely disagree with that. I think this was the act of someone who, who sat there and witnessed the pain and suffering caused by overpopulation on his planet and came up with a solution that he thought was fair and rational, uh, not defending him, but I, I think there was, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that Thanos is right, but I think they did a great job of making his point of view seductive. It was, it's easy to believe, Hey, maybe this is the right course until you think about it more. And I feel like that was an attempt to paint him as a tragic hero, which failed miserably and actually made him more of the psychopathic villain, which he really was. Yeah, I have to agree with that to a certain extent. I feel like at the end of the day, he doesn't do this because he actually wants to save anything. He does this because he wants to prove he was right all along. When his planet died, it's because they didn't follow his plan. So he's going to prove that the universe will survive by doing his plan on the universe Uh like and yeah he coats it in this you know nice little candy coating of i'm saving everybody but i think that backs up what ken is saying because there isn't an objective deity that's saying no this is true this is a truth there maybe not totally objective since you're the goddess of death but you know without that it's just his opinion that there's too many people in the world i do like al's comparison of sorts to Comparing Thanos if Jor-El was psychotic. <laughs> I mean, to a certain extent, yeah, it's true. All right. If, if yeah. Jor-El had lived and Krypton exploded, 
Essentially, that, that's what it sounded like. Hurdle your babies into space. <laughs> that was what I was saying from day one. So I'm going to send half of the babies <laughs> but it's, in the universe into space. I think that's why it saves him as the villain, though, because you can look at it as he's driven by this single-minded, not necessarily even egotism, but to prove himself, to say, I was right all along, and this is how I'm going to prove it here this way. I think that we have so many different interpretations of this <laughs> yeah. proves that this was done well. So if he good, was just yeah. mustache twirly, we'd be like, yeah, he was a villain. Yeah. I, I, no one questions the motivation of that guy with the hammer from Guardians. What's his name? Joey the Hammer? Ronan the <laughs> Accuser? Ronan the, the Accuser, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he was, that a, was a Thor? Yeah. Was that was Thor? Wait, no, 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 no it was Guardians. Guardians. All right, yeah. So, uh, Blue Thor, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, yeah, I do definitely think that this is evidence that he is such an important and, or, or well-done character. Uh, I don't think that any interpretation necessarily, except for those really, really people you should be alarmed by, uh, think he was right. That, that, that really tells a lot of, but there's a lot of I understand why he's he's doing it. Um, and that's, that's the takeaway with this movie. That was the thing I was most worried about, was that they wouldn't get Thanos right, because Thanos is a very interesting character in the comics, and he is an interesting character in the movie. And I, I, him and his relationship with Gamora is a lot more developed than I thought it would ever get, and I'm excited. With that, I think it's time to move on to the part of the podcast where we talk about the things that we loved about the movie and the things that we hated about the movie. James, you brought it up earlier. Loki dying in the first few minutes and the humor of Thor Ragnarok making it hard for us to... Listen, the movie, aside from Black Panther, right before that was Thor Ragnarok. The last we left our Asgardians was they had learned a couple of lessons. One, that Asgard is not a place, it is a people, and that Thor is not the god of hammers to find his true power. This movie opens up in media res with Asgardians being wiped out, although I think there is a line where half of them escaped. Yeah, it's yes, throwaway line. Okay, fine. It's actually pretty good because my, one of my questions is where's Valkyrie, but I guess that's where that she is. That was mine, too. Yeah. Uh, so m- many of them dying, ki- being killed off, um, and it gets worse. Not only is that happening in media res, but the next time we r- interact with Thor, it's when the Guardians pick him up and we have this amusing scene that's uh, him, how pretty he is. Uh, how pretty he is. He's half angel, half pirate. I love the scene. I don't want to lose the scene. But it uh, all I could think of in that scene is your brother just died. Your brother just died. Your brother just mm-hmm. died. Your brother and all your people just died. Like you're it's uh, like what happened to Thor, God of Hammers? What happened to uh, the Asgardian? Like none of it. It just completely dropped not to be picked up again until he talked to Rocket later on in the movie. Well, just want to point out this is my problem. But you can do it, but don't be too hurt if I'm just like, it doesn't matter, because it's just a problem I have. Uh, at, I can even jump onto this problem. Thor's entire storyline in the movie is to get, essentially, a better hammer. Yes! The whole time I'm hearing Anthony Hopkins' voice, are you Thor, god of hammers? <laughs> that's all I can think of during the entire sequence with Peter Dinklage, which was awesome. So that's a little sick. <laughs> <to awesome. laughs> I love Peter Dinklage in this. Great giant dwarf. Oh, so good. Can I bring up to the flip side of your issue with Thor in the beginning of the movie? Who else was there but the Hulk, who had the exact opposite point when he got thrown away and landed to Earth? And he actually did mourn what happened to the point where he was actually scared because his big green buddy doesn't want to come out and yeah. exp- and he's trying to tell everybody death is coming Thanos is coming we got to work and do something where you have again Thor just joking around with the guardians right right 
I, I, I did enjoy the, the Hulk uh, oh, and and I, being I, too afraid one, to come out. One of the out. best moments, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think the biggest problem I have is something I've kind of started to see with the Rousseau brothers as a whole, and this is a little bit more from a filmmaker's perspective. They do a really great job at wrangling all this stuff and, and doing this great writing and working well with these characters, but there's something... There's something... The spectacle the, the Rousseau brothers bring to the film, I think, is left in the the people and it relies very heavily on the the actors and the talent they have and there's just if it weren't for a lot of the characters and stuff they have there and for the the luck we had with Thanos it was very it would have been very easily that scene with the the I don't even know what they were the monsters that we could have just ended up with another like big it, it was essentially just another big villain battle you know what i mean like a big sky monster beam thing right the entire third act in other Wakanda. than thanos yeah right the which big is, battle the, the the episode one battle exactly Wakanda. which is just feeling it's just feeling a little bit like the motions right and that was that was one of the few things for a film that stood out in so many other ways to me that just it just it did hurt a little bit you know, it, it mm-hmm. hurt because it felt like it was going through the motions. Going back to the whole idea of the Russos and the character portrayal, it does go back to the idea that Thanos is is the lead of this film because one of the things I really disliked as much, I mean, it's debatable, but a lot of the heroes, we they do have their moments. The problem is I don't think we got enough of those moments, and that's what I think hurt, hurt the movie so much, in my opinion. Piggybacking off of that, I think there's a big moment that we missed out of this movie that I hopefully is on the cutting room floor or something where Vision shows up wounded and Rhodey's there and just kind of like, oh, hey, guys, come in. And there's <laughs> this good point. there's this kind of sort no of moment attention. where Vision looks like, uh, Ooh, and like, is it really, sh- yeah, he's not really sure what to say or do. And he's very accepting of the, of the other characters, but you can, there's a moment of tension and we don't go anywhere with it. Like, it's just, and I feel like that's a m- moment we needed. Kind of feeding back to our conversation about villains, though, I feel like one of my big gripes is that they attempted to paint Thanos in a sympathetic light. Literally half the universe is genocided away by the end of this movie. That How can you even attempt as a person to paint something like that in a sympathetic way? You are warped yourself by trying to make that. I have a big problem with this argument because a lot of people are making it online. I think we're people are getting a little bit confused, the ideas of sympathy and empathy. Thanos is a character that you can empathize with, right? The death of a daughter, the loss of a planet, but the ends that he goes to, right? That's where you stop. A sympathetic character is someone like Eric Killmonger, who has the places he's come from. It could be anybody's story, right? That he's been rejected by society like this. Thanos' story cannot be anybody's story. Nobody, you can never put, you'll never ever be able to put yourself in Thanos' shoes. So understanding intellectually where he's coming from is different from emotionally being able to connect with him. Excuse me, after this show, I'll bring you over and I'll show you my Infinity Gauntlet so I can tell you that I can <laughs> sympathize with Thanos. Challenge accepted. I'm going to kill half the people in this room. <laughs> Thank no, I, I, God. I, I got a problem. All right. I got a problem. I didn't really like the Black Order. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. I feel like if we're talking about a movie that had to fight for real estate for its main heroes, that you were marketing as you know the Avengers: Infinity War. You know, maybe if we called it Infinity War, it would be easier to accept as Thanos' story. But pretty much everybody's been saying they wanted more Avengers. Right. I don't know that we needed to introduce the Black Order. In this, I'm not sure if the the role that they served was important enough to cut more growth for the heroes. 
I'll just say that that does clash with what James is complaining about, about the mook battle at the end. If you don't have any kind of enemy for them, the heroes to fight throughout, you have boring acts. And if they were just fighting just giant mooks, then it would be even more forgettable. But I, I appreciate it. Yeah, there is a there is a use of real estate problem. I feel like a big problem with the Black Order was that there was an inconsistent power level almost where like, you know, they owned the Hulk at a certain point, but two normal powered women and Scarlet Witch took them on later. Hmm. Yeah, I'm with Pete on this as well. I feel like those characters could have been, in a different way, though, I feel like those characters could have just been done better. We are still leagues away from Masters of Evil, um, which is the movie I want. Mm -hmm. Um, But these guys... No, that's what I'm hoping that Avengers 4 will be. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, all right, now all the villains. That's that's what's... That'd be an awesome way to do it. Like, like, all the heroes are dead, so now let's get all the villains together. Only, oh, It's the Absorbing Man, and... Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, that's going to be Justice League, too. Yeah. Mm. But I do want that, and this was as close as we got, and it was kind of disappointing. Well, uh, you're all wrong. One of the best things about the movie was Ebony Maw. I loved him. He was awesome. I loved his interaction with Tony. I loved, especially his interaction with Tony and Strange. I loved the somebody stole the wizard's jewelry thing. <laughs> the whole thing was cool. I love the way he's presented. I think that was that was a win new character for me. He was very good. I would have been very happy if it was just him. The biggest surprise for me in the movie, and I, you know, like I, I, I hope you guys are excited about this too. Red Skull. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, I, oh yeah. Biggest surprise. Bigger than anything that happened in the movie. I did not expect them to do anything with Red Skull ever again. I just right. assumed it was a drop mm. plot line. Uh, we were done. I rewatched Captain America: The First Avenger the other night, and I was like. I was like, I thought he got off, and then I was like, huh, he teleported nope. up. I wonder what happened to him, and then it paid off the next day when I watched the movie. I was like, ah! <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Yeah, I was I was excited about it. It was a very small Easter egg that was significant, and I thought that was cool. I really hope that we're not done with him, though. I really want us to him to come back and be a Captain America villain or something, because... You're one of those kids that eats his Easter eggs for the rest of the year. <laughs> I know, oh. but, like, I, I just, I really do. I want more of him. He's He was a cool character, and I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. No, Red Skull's definitely one of my favorite Marvel characters, period, to be honest. I love the foil with him and Cap over how many years now. But uh, one of the things that I loved were the beats that the movie took in the to the original source material. It oh, wasn't yeah. it yeah. wasn't perfect, but there was a framework and there were beats and they did some great choices personally that I liked. What Thanos did to Nebula. We got the hint Oh, of, the Nebula thing was awesome. You're you know, right. Where he put her in that moment between life to, and death stasis. To explain, I don't think it was awesome what was happening. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was awesome how it was. Uh, did anybody see that in 3D by any chance? No, no I did no. not. The layers looked so awesome in oh, 3D. that's really cool. I believe that one. <laughs> that's worth it. That's um, But yeah, um, you know, his rationale of wiping out half the universe. They, that was a point that they kept in there. Sending the heroes off to, uh, I guess, well, actually, Titan... It was almost essentially kind of reminiscent to me of Adam Warlock, Silver Surfer, and Strange on an asteroid waiting for yeah, a beat to there's some, do something. Yeah, right. The yeah. uh, the on nowhere, the way he uh, neutralized Mantis and Drax was taken straight from Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, right. Ways he offed other characters. Yeah, Wolverine was similar to how Mantis uh, wound up mm-hmm. getting taken and out. Nova and was Nova turned was, into blocks yeah. like Drax was. Um, right. We got the scene from Thanos Quest where he took the gem from the Collector. I like that. Yeah, like, yeah, there was a lot of Thanos similar. Quest in this. Yeah, there and was a lot. There were, like I said, I, I appreciated the beats, and I loved the ones that I could sit there and go, I know what that's from. And I'm, again, another little Easter egg that really makes it, pays it off for the people who, who care. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the uh, the balance that they struck between humor and action and tragedy. 
I thought that uh, they, they've been getting a great run of steam going with the Guardians movies and Thor Ragnarok. And there's a lot of people going into the movies expecting to laugh and to get the witty banter going back and forth. And I like that they managed to keep that in there, but it didn't take away, at least for me, too much from the bigness, for lack of a better term, of the story, the impact of the story. And it was, I think it was almost Shakespearean levels of balancing that wit and tragedy. I was really happy that the characters felt like themselves. Like even with characters like the Guardians, who've only ever been written by one person, right? It's Mm -hmm. all James Gunn directed and written. Mm -hmm. So that they were able to keep that consistency. Pulled in to actually get the voices correct. Yeah. James Gunn was pulled in, and I I believe some other uh, directors and... YTT came on to help out, too. A couple of others, yeah. Going back to the villain, I like that he was very balanced in a very strange way. He was overpowered, but they gave him this really great mechanic where he had to squeeze his hand in order to get any of the effects off. (laughs) And it became a very good balancing way to not just make him overpowered. The heroes had a way to stop him and keep him from using his abilities, and it was really cool. And I also like something about their fights with him, which was they could have almost won twice in that movie. There's great moments where we realize he's very powered, but they could have beaten him if Star-Lord hadn't lost his cool. I don't know about and that. Also, I, I, you know, and yeah. again, like with Thor, like Thor, we're not sure if he make, he kind of looks alright, but he's limping at the end of the movie, so maybe Thor got him, but even Thanos says, if he just aimed a little higher, this yeah. would have been yours, and I like the heroes could have won, and that means a lot, that they're not just weak. I think that, I want to take a moment and discuss this Infinity Gem and the powers therein. First of all, Thanos and his obsession with bubbles is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I'm um, waiting for that toy. Yeah, aside from that, um, I actually, just from a, from a comics perspective and from a, like a narrative perspective, I like how they paced out how he got the gems. It makes sense, and, and specifically, that the big boys don't come in till the end. T- reality and time are really important. Soul having the weight in the soul world thing. And most important to me, be, be honest, was mind being at the end. Because there's obviously a plan at work here. And if he had the mind gem earlier, the question becomes, how do you not figure this out? Or even if you know Thanos made a mistake in his whole, I'm going to destroy half the universe and attempt to do some resource management, which is a stupid idea. You'd think that maybe he would have thought about how stupid an idea it was if he had mind gem but they left it to the very end and i think that was even if unintentional or even if it was really this there because of the weird kind of vision subplot which i had problems with um then then it kudos chef's kiss i know you you like the pacing of the collection of the gems and it's just one of those little nitpicky things that i had with it and that was not seeing the first gem get collected yeah i'll agree with that yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. no room something i like i like the wanda and vision stuff i liked it in civil war too I I really like it. I also like, even maybe more so than that, uh, how broken Wanda is. Oh, yeah. No, like accurate level broken for Scarlet Witch. (laughs) Being being a fan of the books, James, I appreciate that. I wish they had done another film beforehand to solidify that relationship because it felt a little too forced I wish they'd maybe even had their own thing. We've seen most of this we have to take for... It's the Avengers idea that has happened... Off screen, it's that blow. I mean, if you don't have your own movie series attached to it, like I almost feel like the rule should be: if you do, then you don't have a lot of real estate in this, these movies. Hey, Captain America, 
save it for your movies. <laughs> Not like uh, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's interesting, but it's uh, I, I can't figure it out. Just spitballing here, I would love to see them bring back the idea of the uh, the Marvel shorts or the Marvel one shots. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I would love to see them work that into the actors' contracts going forward. That they do. You know, maybe in between the movies, a 15, 20 minute short that they release somehow that you don't need flashy special effects or anything. You just get the guys in the costumes and do a, uh, a quick character shot. I was saying, so like one of them could be like a five to ten minute thing of Tony just stuck on Titan saying, how am I getting home? <laughs> yeah, looking for a shawarma place. Yeah. <laughs> on Titan? Yes. Wow. Um, yeah. I am Steve Rogers. Oh, might be yes. my okay. favorite yeah. line. He was just so sincere, and I just I can't imagine if I would be any different if I met an alien, <laughs> right? It's like uh, I am Groot. especially one that said I am Groot. Yeah, I am Steve Rogers. <laughs> yeah, because it's out of context for him because he had no idea. That yeah. that was yeah. absolutely my favorite part of the movie as well. <laughs> I I enjoyed Rocket finally giving that little teaser that we all wanted with him and Bucky going. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> how much you want for that arc? Yeah. Uh, the one the one quote that stuck with me through the whole damn movie and past it was uh, Tony's explanation of the situation to Spider-Man. He's from outer space. He's here to steal a necklace from a wizard. You're embarrassing me in front of the wizard was also <laughs> one of my favorites. And I love I love, you know, I, I like Doctor Strange, but I really do like how Strange and Wong fight. I really like how that was stylized mm-hmm. in Doctor Strange. So it was really nice to see that that was kept really cool, but maybe even a little downtone. So that wasn't like entirely insane. I think I just have one more, actually. And it was with uh, James and Al talking about how they kind of fanned, fanboyed out with the, with, the, with the Red Skull coming back. Can I tell you how much I nerd out seeing the Iron Spider suit? Oh, <laughs> that was yeah. cool, yeah. Come on. Come on. Yeah, just a quickie thing is I love the one-liners in this movie. Like we were just talking about, like Groot is an elective on Asgard. Like how amazing is that? Like stuff yeah. like that. Like every time that came up, you're just like... Oh God! Everybody's gonna die. He. Oh no! Everybody's gonna die. He. <laughs> Probably my absolute favorite part about the movie, though, was the fact that it was paced in such a way that my heart was pounding throughout the whole movie. I'm like, Oh God, who's gonna die? But it felt like it flew by either way. Like it was just one of those things where I was so intensely involved in the movie that I came out with a huge smile, even though I was supremely upset about everything. I loved Gamora and Nebula as their 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 sister relationship. I like how weird it is with Thanos. I love that they're hopefully setting Nebula up for something cool, which makes sense. Uh, and I I think there was a lot of tragedy in that relationship between Gamora and Thanos in general. I, I really enjoyed it. I agree. And it's one of the reasons why I really like one of the last scenes in the movie is when after Thanos like snaps his fingers when he's hit with the axe and she asks him that question. It's a interest. It's really, really cool question of like, did you do it? Like, yes. What did it cost? And there's that moment where he is exasperated and he's like everything. And he's right. Because it did cost them everything. His legions are gone. Every like the, the, his followers are spent. His children dead or in like his children who hated him. Yeah. And like and I'll even say like maybe his life because it looks like Thor hit him pretty bad, but he got it. He's done. And it's that moment of like like yeah, dude, it, this did cost you everything, everything you had, and you did have everything. And I think that that led right into probably my favorite moment of the film especially as a fanboy i I think i've mentioned it before my absolute favorite moment in the infinity gauntlet books is that moment at the very end where it's all done and thanos who has been the the big bad enemy throughout the entire thing 
just sits down and calmly reflects on it, on everything that's going on. And I was so happy and impressed that they took that exact last panel and translated onto the screen almost exactly. It, it was the exact same pose. He's holding his hands in the same way. And that was the biggest hat tip that I feel like I could have gotten as a fan of the comic books. So I, I really have to applaud them for that. That's very cool. Yeah, overall, I think the movie was solid. I thought it was very good. It wasn't my favorite Marvel movie, and there were a lot of bold choices they made that may not have paid off, even though they're going to make all the money in the world. But I think a lot of people are feel very strongly about a film that could have very easily just went right under people's radar. They could have just not cared at all. It could have been just another summer movie. And I'm, I, I hope you all enjoyed it as well. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, like and follow and review and rank our show. Telling uh, other people about it really does help us a lot. And tune into Nonproductive for more information, including a Patreon special where we discuss what we think is coming next from the Avengers. That's right. What we think the sequel to this movie might be, our wish lists, and what our insider knowledge has to offer. That'll be on patreon.com slash nonpro. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.